From KYW News Radio 1039 FM, this is Bridging Philly, connecting our communities on the issues that matter to you. Presented by Gift of Life Donor Program. Organ donors save lives. Hello, I'm Raquel Williams. Welcome to Bridging Philly. Well, we've celebrated and officially welcomed in the new year. And as we eat more salads and hit the gym, many are putting alcohol back on the shelf for the month. A bar owner, an alcohol-free bottle shop owner, and an addiction treatment specialist all join me to discuss dry January. It's more of a fresh start to reevaluate how you're going to navigate your drinking over the year. Maybe it's more mindful. Maybe it's not cutting it out 100%. Plus, Charity Howard explores connecting with nature by using goats. It's lovely here in the neighborhood being part of the community and lovely having a herd of goats cared for and loved by thousands of people. All that's coming up on Bridging Philly. This is Bridging Philly from KYW News Radio 1039 FM. Dry January started in the UK in 2012 and it's been growing in popularity here in the US, especially after the pandemic. You know, many people are putting the bottle down for a month as we hit the reset button after about two months of indulgence during the holidays. You can call it a New Year's resolution, but the fact is that eliminating alcohol from your menu, even for 30 days, can have positive effects on your health. And your liver, of course, will thank you as well. Joining me to talk about Dry January is Erin Goodhart. She is Provider, Executive Director of Core Programming at Karen Treatment Centers in Pennsylvania. Along with Aaron is Fergus Fergie Carey, owner of Fergie's Pub, the Goat Grace Tavern in Center City, as well as the gym in South Philly. And also here with us is Drew Davis. She's co-founder of Gem Life and Bar in Pittman, New Jersey, Gem Bar, a no alcohol bottle shop, and a pop-up bar and Gem Life, which is a well-being bar Welcome, everyone, to Bridging Philly. Thank you. Thanks for having us. All right, so we're, of course, here to talk about dry January and not drinking for the month of January and all the reasons behind it. But I want to first find out from all of you, because you're all from kind of different perspectives here on the uh, spectrum, is dry January a good idea? Fergie. As a human being, yes. (laughs) (laughs) As a bar owner. (laughs) As a bar owner, not so much. It's quite divisive, too. Like, people are, oh, yeah. But I think it's all part of the program. It's like, yeah, you just, you got to just look at the bigger picture. You can't be complaining, oh, I'm not making any money this month because it all balances out. It's like when you bartend, you get bad tips and you get good tips, and then you don't complain about the bad tips too much. Some people, like, they do dry January, and then they say, alcohol's not for me anymore, and they move on, because I've known several people to do that. It's all good right, in the end. of course. You know? And it isn't that bad. Not everybody does dry January. Right, right. Thank okay. God. <laughs> well, we'll talk about it and the ways that you adjust during the month of January. Uh, we'll certainly we'll talk with you about that. Um, also, Erin, what do you think? Dry January, good idea? I think dry January is a good idea. It gives people an opportunity to evaluate their relationship with alcohol, to develop more vulnerable relationships with people around them, and also really take a look at what wellness and health means to them. And it also is time limited. So they have an opportunity to give it a try and maybe they'll see some health benefits that they want to stick with. Yeah, got that. Drew? Yes, I totally agree. I think it's a great time to reevaluate your relationship with alcohol. 
for me, on the other end, uh, Fergie is poppin' month for me because <laughs> everybody wants to come visit me because I'm like a non-alcoholic liquor store. Right. So I have all the options. But I also want to make it a point to say that it's not a challenge. I think it's more of a fresh start to reevaluate like how you're going to navigate your drinking over the year. Maybe it's more mindful. Maybe it's not cutting it out 100%. So I think it's really a different journey for everybody. But I love that it's becoming more popular in the aspect of just being aware of what we're putting in our bodies. Got it. Um, well, I, I appreciate uh, all of your answers uh, and perspectives on dry January. Um, of course, research does show that moderate to heavy drinking increases uh, blood pressure. It can cause blood vessel uh, damage, abnormal heart rhythms. Alcohol increases blood levels of uh, potentially harmful free radicals. When you stop, supposedly that kind of goes away and improves your health. Uh, the, your liver, of course, is happier uh, when you cut back on the alcohol. So there are Obvious health uh, reasons why dry January is a good thing. Um, now, Aaron, I wanted to talk with you about whether this is something that would be easier for the casual drinker, someone who just drinks on occasion but overindulged, you know, during the last two months of the year, rather than someone who actually drinks every day, a couple of glasses of wine with dinner for years and is thinking about kind of pulling back on that. Is it easier for one individual than the other? Yeah, I would say the person who drinks more casually may have an easier time with dry January. The person who's drinking every day, even if it's two glasses of wine at night with dinner, they've developed a habit. They develop a pattern. And that becomes one of their primary coping strategies, really, and maybe even the way that they look at unwinding at the end of the night. That being said, though, even the casual drinker, you know, Alcohol for them might be what allows them to be social. That might be their only social outing. Yeah. You know, on a weekend, they go out and they drink with their friends. And it's hard to imagine for some people, what am I going to do for four weekends in January if I'm not going out with my friends to the bar? So I think both are going to have different challenges. And it really is going to vary from person to person if it's easy or not. But certainly the person who's drinking daily is going to have to really, um, you know, reexamine their patterns and their habits. Yeah. Let's talk about that social aspect of drinking. It just seems like everything you celebrate involves, you know, popping something open or pouring something alcoholic. And that's how we kind of embrace and remember the moment and celebrate the moment. So, you know, I guess at times that could be harmful, uh, depending on the situation. And perhaps we need to kind of look at how we celebrate differently. I mean, these are traditions that we've all grown up with. I mean, I grew up with my parents had, you know, a little mini bar, you know, in the basement and had parties down there, the whole thing. We could kind of rethink that, right? Yeah, I mean, I think that we can rethink that. And, you know, you said how we remember things. There are lots of people who celebrate and they don't remember anything from oh, that night. Good point. You know, I think we can all reflect on <laughs> stories of the wedding or the New Year's Eve or the Christmas Day. And we think about the person who clearly does not remember that and probably adds their guilt, shame, remorse, and, and maybe part of the reason they then continue to drink. Yeah, we also celebrate around food all the time. Oh, that like, too. Yeah, when we, you are we, like yeah. when you when you ever think about losing <laughs> weight, it's like, oh, it's uh, Drew's birthday on Tuesday night. Oh, we're going to that restaurant. Oh, I'm trying not to eat. How am I going to go and do that? So, with the, yes, food and drink. It is. Uh, yeah, that's that's how we all celebrate. And you know, it's interesting. I spoke uh, last year with uh, KYW's Dr. Brian McDonough. He's our medical editor. We were talking about Dry January, and he was mentioning also the habit uh, that. If you put this down for a month, you'll probably realize that you just had a habit and you don't really need to go back to it. Or even if you don't do the full 30 days and you do 15 days, you might realize, you know what, I don't have to drink as much. 
I don't want to make alcohol to be this big, you know, mean, evil thing. But obviously, there's a balance that we all need to strike. And for some, it might have to be to strike it out completely. And there's nothing wrong with that. And there's no shame in any of that, right? There's not. There's also uh, the apps these days and stuff that uh, promote um, the one that I know of uh, is called Reframe. And it's basically reframing uh, how you think about alcohol, about your relationship with alcohol. And uh, mm. you count the amount of drinks you have and stuff. It's basically awareness. To, yeah. Like you just, it's making you aware. And, so like, and they are promoting dry dampish Damp, January yeah. also. It's all cool. wrong. It's yeah. All yeah. yeah. I partner with Sunnyside app um, over the last year and a lot of my customers have been using it just to navigate their mindfulness mm-hmm. and like you get prizes if you hit like so it does give you a little like incentives but I do think it's a good way to like you said kind of just capture what like it allows you to see what you've actually been drinking consuming like how many calories and then also, like, once you cut back how much you're saving, yeah. you know, it's a great... It, there's great. an app for just about yeah. everything these days. <laughs> if that's your thing, it's a good thing to try it out. But, Drew, why don't you go ahead and talk about your story and uh, Gem Wellbeing Bartique. How did all of that come about for you? Yeah, so I um, guess you could call me your retired party girl. Alcohol has been my best friend since I was a young age. So I started drinking at 13 in social settings and then, you know, always, like, the first to the club at a bottle, at the first one to go to happy hour. And I really enjoyed the culture, the society aspect of like just hanging out with my friends um, with beautiful drinks. But yeah. unfortunately, that led to my demise. Um, I have some serious health issues and they just kept at 18. I got diagnosed with my first autoimmune disease. By the time I was 35, I had eight and it almost killed me in 2020. So my uh-huh. pancreas stopped working and um, I was in the hospital for a little over a week and at that point, the doctors were like, you know, they asked me if I drank. And I'm like, yeah, like Thursday through Sunday, a couple drinks, you know, and they were like, you ha- you can't do that for a year. And I'm like, OK, no problem. And I had to change the way I eat, too, you know, because when I drank, I would then make maybe some nachos afterwards. Right. Um, so those two things, you know, went hand in hand with my overconsumption of alcohol and food. And I went home from the hospital and I was like, OK, this is life or death. I can do it. And my husband well, he could tell you he found me like I would go to my room and be crying on the floor because I did not know how to relax or how to like mm-hmm. navigate not having a drink after a stressful day, a birthday party. Um, we're ritualistic humans. So like um, Aaron was saying earlier, like I'd go home, have my drink, sit on the couch, watch my shows. That's what I did every night. That's how I unwound. And I, I had to teach myself differently. So I did a lot of like deep healing. It was during COVID. Mm-hmm. I did a lot of it myself. Um but I also found so many people who didn't drink for so many reasons. And as I was sharing my story and connecting with people and make, becoming vulnerable, I saw this whole market of under, like underserved people like that were just looking for a space that was safe and inclusive. And so that's what I decided to create with Gem. I wanted to really bring together people who were navigating their relationship wherever it was. It could be full-blown drinking to in recovery to like a mom who's a gray area drinker to, you know, the dad who has beers with his buddies, but it's taken him from his family. Yeah. So I want to just create this safe space for everybody. And that's how Gem came about. I wanted to be a booze-free bar, but it was COVID. So I had to shift my idea. <laughs> and right. I started with like an online bottle shop, turned into a bottle shop. Then we have a tasting lounge. And now, um, you know, we are consulting for restaurants and bars so how they can be more inclusive because they, so they can still generate income for the people. Because I love to go to a restaurant. And if you give me a beautiful non-alcoholic cocktail and I'll pay $18 for it, mm. I will. Like, I just want to feel included and right. I want a good drink that's not all sugar. Right. So that's that's my elevator pitch. <laughs> how, how I went from, you know, my, um, a very painful point in my life to like, 
creating it to a passion to really just hope to change other people's lives for the better like it did for me. Well, you definitely turned it around and turned it into something that could help other people. I'm wondering if you, you ever got the look. You get the look where well, I don't drink. Uh, you get that. Are you, are you pregnant? Are you in recovery? Oh, just have one. Uh, oh, you're a quitter. I'm not a quitter. Um, I get a lot. And, you know, at first I was like, I had a hard time. I lost a lot of friends. Um, people didn't call me and invite me to places. A lot of relationships fell away and it can be very lonely, but it also has been the most beautiful journey for me. And I've actually found really like good humans and, you know, nourish myself every day with those people. So yeah, I got the looks. I lost the friends, but like, I mean, our health is all we have at the yeah. end of the day. Yeah. Well, I appreciate you uh, sharing your story. Yeah. Uh, we'll definitely come back and talk more about that. Thanks. Bridging Philly continues in a moment. Shipping can make or break a sale, so optimize how you ship your orders with ShipStation. They make it easy to automate and manage orders no matter how big your business grows. And they might even be able to help reduce shipping and warehouse costs. So optimize and keep up your momentum for growth with ShipStation. Sign up for your free 60-day trial now at ShipStation.com and use the code P-O-D. That's ShipStation.com with the code P-O-D. Back to Bridging Philly from KYW News Radio 103.9 FM. I wanted to, Erin, uh, go into a little bit about, you know, when it's not just a habit, when it's constantly drinking, when you are dealing with stress uh, by finding the bottle. I know a lot of us do. We like to laugh and make jokes and call it mommy juice. So oh, I need my mommy juice or, you know, I need a liquid lunch today. And we make it really, you know, kiki and fun. But at some point, at what point do you say, OK, maybe I should kind of step back and take a look at this. This might be more than just a little habit. Yeah, and that speaks so much to what Drew just said about the cultural parts of drinking. Yeah. Um, for a long time, I've worked primarily with women. And so I've heard the mommy juice. I've heard the you know wine in the cup at the soccer game. And what I would say is most of the women that I have worked with, they experience so much shame. And for them, that is a huge indicator that their drinking is becoming problematic. The other thing that I say to people is your drinking becomes problematic when it creates problems. So reflecting on Drew's story of, you know, having medical issues, there are some people who have mental health concerns, family concerns, and really it becomes problematic when there's problems in your life. And when people begin to go outside of their value system in order to drink or to hide drinking or to recover from the effects of drinking, you know, the person who says, I'm not going to miss the um, school recital, and then they're finding that they're not at the school recital yeah. or, um, you know, compromising driving with their kids, which people would say I would never do. And, and the amount of people that I work with that for them, that was their moment of, I don't have control over this anymore. This has control over me. Mm. Of course, that we have the physical things, you know, withdrawal symptoms, hangover, shaking, like those are things we think of when we think of somebody who's using alcohol problematically. But it's really so much deeper when it comes to the emotional, spiritual relationship um, impacts that alcohol has. Yeah. Fergie, let's talk about, you know, because obviously we're talking about Dry January. You own multiple bars and restaurants uh, throughout uh, Philadelphia. So drinking is what you do. Serving people who drink is what you do. Um, and of course, for those who drink, it's it's fine. We're not shaming anyone for not drinking or for drinking. But when it comes to Dry January, I know in the beginning you said not great for business. 
What are some of the ways that you accommodate your dry January customers? Like, what do you get into with the different mocktails and things of that nature for the month? I don't. You don't serve mocktails? Well, we do, but I'm not going out of my way to uh, come up with mocktails or uh, non-alcoholic drinks and all that. I, I try and, like, you know, we're the one thing all the time, you know. I own an Irish pub, but it's like we don't dress it up for St. Patrick's Day. I actually barely dress it up for Christmas. You know, it's just trying the same thing all the time. And uh, and there are, we do have non-alcoholic beers and we, I'm sure that we have mocktails too, but uh, we, I don't change around too much. I'm like, oh, come on in. And, and I also like, you know, when we don't have TVs either and like, well then, yeah, you go to the sports bar. Or go to Gem, you know, go and let Drew have her month. (laughs) We're not in competition. But I would like to just bring up um, uh, the fact that I'm from Ireland and uh, I spent uh, six weeks uh, during the summer in Ireland. And every bar, every pub, non-alcoholic Guinness, non-alcoholic Heineken Mm. on tap. And people can go and drink there with no shame right. or no questions. Like, so my nephew who doesn't drink, he's sitting in the bar beside me. I have a real pint of Guinness. He's a pint of non-alcoholic Guinness, zero, zero Guinness, zero, zero Heineken. Every bar has those on tap. And that is not happening in America yet. Mm, uh, there is a, uh, there's a, a lot of uh, non-alcoholic beers and stuff, but nothing like in Ireland. They sort of adapt it to it, you know. Oh, well then, yeah, you don't drink, but you go out and we all stand beside each other, have the pints, and nobody can tell the difference. I do notice in clubs here, like, I mean, more rock clubs than dancey clubs, but (laughs) in clubs here, like, there's a uh, thing called liquid death. Well, liquid death's a, a large can of water. Right, and people are practically, you see the people, oh, and it's all right to be in the club with your large can of water, and nobody looks and thinks. So I, I think there is a big shift uh, here in America, and there's room for all of us. And then, of course, the clubs are selling those <laughs> cans of liquid death for $6 and stuff like that, too. So yeah, It's a brilliant I, marketing tool. I was yeah. not aware to, of liquid death. Yeah, to yeah. put the can of water to make it look like a drink is a brilliant marketing yeah, tool. Yeah, absolutely. Wow. Yeah. See, if I saw someone with a can of liquid death i'd be like what are they drinking yeah. oh it's yeah. water it's pure vodka <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> okay well of course you are a, a legend of sorts here in philadelphia so talk a little bit about your humble beginnings and you coming from ireland bartending at mcginley's i believe M- mcglinchy's back in 90, 1994 to becoming this bar and restaurateur extraordinary in uh. philly I moved from Ireland, uh, the year was 80, 1987, I was 24 years old, and I, I moved to Houston, Texas. How do you say, hated it, and was in Philadelphia <laughs> two weeks later, and then I just, uh, Philly was more home, uh, remind me of Dublin, like I shared a house in Center City for like $100 a month, <laughs> and, I, and I've got myself a bicycle and a job bussing tables, and it, it was uh, definitely more home, uh, more accessible to me so then i did a lot of different jobs like delivering uh, tacos and an artist assistant and a busboy but then i i got a job at midlinch's bartending and i uh, uh, it was very much a launching pad i just seemed to meet everybody then and i did that for five years and i uh, was 31 when i opened fergie's pub but at the age of 30 i started panicking like what are you gonna do are you gonna be driving a taxi or what what are you gonna be bartending like uh, begging shifts be the oldest waiter in town so that pushed me <laughs> 
to uh, to do something. And then uh, it was uh, 1994. Things were a lot uh, cheaper back then. And I did find this space on uh, 12th and Sensum, which became Fergie's Pub. And that space had a big sign outside that said fully equipped bar and restaurant for lease. Mm-hmm. And it was the cheapest way of getting into a thing. So myself and my partner, Waji Abed, we uh, took over that and uh, we have to say really didn't know what we were doing and uh and it worked out really well you know we, uh, we uh had one keg of guinness and it was gone in an hour and there was a line around the block to get in because it seemed like it was the first new thing to be happening around in a long time and uh at uh waji's funeral uh, in 2017 i spoke at the funeral and i said if there was something i would say to waji now i would say we did it this will be our 30th year this year in uh, November. Fergus Bubble will be 30 years old. So many bars, restaurants go out uh, within a year, you know, so and we don't know, but we did it. And I'm very grateful to that every day. Great, great. Well, you are a huge success here in Philadelphia, and congratulations for that. And, of course, Drew, on the opposite end of the spectrum, you are growing in popularity with your non-alcoholic offerings and uh, no-alcohol bottle shop and pop-up bar and things of that nature. So you're both doing well. There is a shift, but I think there's enough here to accommodate just about everyone. And as we talk about uh, everyone and and being accommodated and looking at things like when it's more than just a habit and when you have to seek treatment, can we talk a little bit about that, if we could, Aaron, of the clients that you see at Karen Treatment Center? Um, Women and men and alcoholism and dealing with stress, do they handle it differently? I said earlier, I've worked most of my career with women, and I have seen through the pandemic the pressure that women experience, the um, stress that they experience has put them in a position where they're coping in more unhealthy ways. I will say women enter treatment more progressed with their substance use. They have more physical complications. There's often mental health concerns that are going on. Um, So it's really, you know, looking at it like a lotus flower that's opening up really slowly. I think for men, there's a little bit of a less stigma around alcohol use. You know, it's more acceptable for them to go to the football game on a Saturday with their buddies and have a little too much to drink. And that's just what guys do. Um, Whereas, you know, if a woman goes out, you know, there's more um, stigma attached to that. In terms of treatment, you know, I used to be on the side where, you know, women had to deal with their shame more. But the reality is, after having worked with men, men experience the same amount of shame as women. Mm-hmm. It's just a little different. You know, the male sort of traditionally, kind of stereotypically is concerned with who's going to take care of my family while I'm here. Um, what am I going to say to work? What am I going to say to my buddies? How am I going to go to the football game or not? Yeah. You know, yeah. whereas women, I can tell you, they come in and you know, at least a part of their day is managing their children's schedule, sometimes from a state away. They're coming in, who's going to take care of my kids? Who's going to make sure the, you know, the lunch account is paid? Um, What are their friends, parents going to think? Are they going to let their kids ride with me? And they're also really dealing with both men and women really going outside of their value system and how that has impacted the people around them. I will say on the other side, um, from more of a personal note, I grew up in a family that was in recovery. My dad was in recovery from the time that I was 10 years old. So for me, there is no shame. There is no stigma attached with substance use, with mental health treatment. Everybody in our family, when we needed it, we were able to access help and there wasn't any quietness about it. And I think that's the really cool shift that I see happening, even with, um, you know, Jem and Drew sharing her story is the more we talk about it, the more we show that people can get healthy, the less that stigma 
controls people's narratives and we really have a chance to heal as a humanity. Yeah. You know, you don't have to hit rock bottom, though, in order to get into treatment, right? Absolutely not. And, you know, I think when people think of treatment, they think of a residential program. You know, the reality is, is treatment is, it can be doing that deep work understanding what motivates alcohol use or coping unhealthy, that can happen in individual therapy, that can happen in outpatient, and some people need residential or they just need detox as well. You know, I think the spectrum of treatment, the continuum of treatment for substance use disorders and mental health concerns has grown so much even since the pandemic. And again, you know, I think People look at finances, they look at family support, social support as barriers to getting treatment. I'm a big fan of pick up your phone, call your insurance company, call your county funding. I'm certain that they can help you find some sort of treatment because nobody has to go this alone. Yeah, that, that's important. And I'm, I'm glad you mentioned that. Um, you know, I'm thinking of, a, of someone who is saying to themselves, maybe I need to make that phone call. Maybe I need to make that extra step. But often it's people in their lives that perhaps recognize that there may be an issue, right? Yeah, and I think Dry January also gives people an opportunity to evaluate their relationships. Yeah. You know, um, Drew talked about losing some relationships without drinking, and, and Dry January also allows that. I might realize that some of my relationships are built only off of substance use or going out to bars or clubs or parties. And you develop these genuine, vulnerable relationships where people who are concerned can say to you that I'm concerned, right? Yeah. It kind of opens up the door. But I'm not a huge fan of having the hit rock bottom. I think everybody's bottom is different. And um, honestly, some people's bottom is death and like they're not coming back from that. Well, let's talk about mocktails. Shall we talk about mocktails? <laughs> what goes into, and I know you're not a big fan of this, Fergie, but what goes into a really good mocktail? Because I was on the website, Drew, and I had no idea. Let me see what I found here. I found things like zero proof tequila. Now, I'm yeah. a tequila fan. I'm like zero proof tequila. There's a whole world of zero proof spirits out there that I had no idea existed. So these mocktails could really mimic a good, you know, alcoholic beverage, right? Yeah. So I like to call them conscious cocktails instead of mocktails, even though mocktails is a great term and it's widely used. um, I call them conscious cocktails because we're sipping on it consciously. Um, And these spirits can be used in lieu of regular alcohol, but give you the same complexity you would have. So if that's not triggering to you on your journey to remove alcohol, or if you're in like a mindful drinking state where you're like, I just want to drink one time a month, but I'm going to do mocktails every other weekend. This is a great alternative. Um, I have had so many people come in and they are slowly shifting, you know, their drinking habits because they have these options. We even have functional beverages. So things with adaptogens, nootropics, Mm. like herbs that actually nourish our Mm. body, calm our nervous system. So a lot of us think when we have a drink of alcohol, it's calming us down, but really it's calming us down for a second and then it's going to spike us up to this like high cortisol stress level later. These drinks you're actually going to have, you're going to feel like maybe you had a glass of wine because it's going to unwind you, but it's never going to spike you back up to that place. So that's a really good alternative for people, too, that want to feel something. I know that sounds silly, but it's all about harm reduction to me. 
if I can provide you with a mocktail or an adaptogen that can help you reduce your overconsumption, then that's a win for me and the community. I saw um, some of the, the beverages were infused with CBD. Yes. Yeah. So, yeah. Well, now I'm in Jersey and um, THC CBD is very legal now. So we do have some options that um, you could have with either of those added to them. Mm-hmm. Uh, like, again, like I said, it's really kind of what journey you're on. But like, I believe anything's addictive. Anything's addictive if you have that, you know, that in your blood or your yeah. in your mindset. So it's always about being very cautious about what you're drinking because I could drink two bottles of tequila because in my mind it could be something more. Right. So I think it's all about approaching it with like mindfulness and, um, you know, what suits your needs at the time. And by harm reduction, what do you mean exactly? I think most often people think of it, honestly, with opiate use and having safe places for people to use and get safer drugs and things like that. In alcohol use, it can be um, using less. It can be using a safe environment. Um, it can be, you know, use, uh, drinking alcoholic beverages that may have less alcohol in them. Um, but it's a way to reduce the possibility of someone hurting themselves or others. understand. This isn't an all or nothing thing. Dry January doesn't mean you have to go the full month of January. I mean, you can do a partial month. And if you fall off, or I don't even want to say fall off, if you stop, have a glass of wine, you can always the next day go back to not having it, right? Or just perhaps reduce things. Yeah, I think that trying to stay out of the black and white and really find like sort of that gray area and um, what is going to work. And I love, again, what Drew said about like the mindful pattern of drinking or the consciousness around it and really being aware and, and sort of thoughtful about it. Um there are some people who they're going to find that going two weeks, going four weeks, they feel better. Their sleeping is going to be better. Their eating habits are going to change. They're going to be able to find other ways to relax. And so they might want to extend it. So you know, I think this can just be a reset. This can be a, a start to changing patterns that are going to increase health in general. Okay. Bergie, have we convinced you? <laughs> are you ready for some non-alcoholic tequila? <laughs> Actually, I am curious because you, uh, Drew, you said like they're not loaded with sugar. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I would like to come and sample some of Whoa, this. Look and at also, that. I guess in this show, we we should mention Kelly Sober. Are you Kelly Sober? Yeah, Kelly Sober. Yeah. You sort of hit on her there for a second. Are you familiar with Kelly Sober, as in California Sober? No. And so you uh, you don't drink anymore, but you might. Well, I guess you do smoke pot or ingest marijuana, THC. Yeah, so that's Kelly Sober. I get on with life like that. There you go. Well, there are healing properties to that plant, right? This isn't a cannabis show, but we can do that too. But this is great because there's something on both ends of the spectrum for everyone. And of course, when it comes to, you know, getting help, we have to know where to go or what to do or recognizing the signs. So I'll just end with everyone talking about where we can go to find out more information. If you could, Erin, talk about the uh, Karen Treatment Centers in uh, Pennsylvania, lots of locations in Philadelphia. Where can we go to find out more information? So the easiest place to go is going to be our website, which is www.caron.org. On there, you'll find many blogs from dry January to cannabis use to opiates, family support. I mean, you kind of touched on it earlier. If, if your family member is concerned, we have family support options, too. The other thing is you can find ways to access treatment. To me, it's so important to people to know that 
we can help you access treatment, even if it's not with Karen, we can give you suggestions and, you know, even point you into the community resources that are available, which some people will feel more comfortable with. But look up the website, talk to a friend. I promise you, if you say something to somebody about trying dry January, accountability is so important. Someone else is going to say to you, like, I'll join you with it, or my mom did this, or my sister did it. But, you know, I think the more we talk about it, we're open and honest about it. We look up resources. Um, we can reduce the shame and the stigma, and we can really um, kind of heal. And there's hope in that. All right, great. And Drew, where can we learn more about Gem Life? And of course, talk about the dry vibes that you have coming up later this month. Yeah, so Gem Life is located in Pittman, New Jersey. We're right on Broadway. We're actually in the old Irish store. So a little ode to the Irish theme we have today. And we also have a website where we ship all over um, the U.S., www.gemlifecollective.com. But we also launched something new called Dry Vibes, which is a place for people to go in dry January that is like a festival, a party, um, has wellness modalities. So we'll have like a marketplace with local vendors. We have a spiritual sanctuary with healers and wellness. And then we have a full, like all-inclusive, zero-proof bar. We have 20 to 30 different brands sampling their beverages. It's all zero-proof. We'll have some speakers. We have actually um, Margaret from the Royal Housewives of New Jersey coming this year. Um, she has a soiree, so you can sip the line or you can spike the line. So it's, again, it's for mindful drinkers. <laughs> it's on January 20th from 12 to 7 p.m. at location 215 right in the Callow Hill area. And tickets are on sale through Eventbrite. And I encourage you guys all to come out and experience this. I think it'll be like life-changing for you okay thanks so much is there music at that yes yeah. i got a dj i mean we're having a party okay yeah <laughs> you guys need to collaborate and fergie anything going on with the bars coming up any special events that we oh, need to know starting about? starting february no ah <laughs> 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 uh, we're just business as usual and uh, i'm happy about it okay sounds good well, I have to thank you all for being here to uh, lend your voice to this conversation about dry January. Erin Goodhart, Fergie Carey, and Drew Davis, thank you so much for joining us. I'm thank Virginia. you. Thank you. Thank you. Bridging Philly continues in a moment. Back to Bridging Philly, connecting our communities on the issues that matter to you. The Philly Goat Project is a local nonprofit providing their urban community a connection to nature by using goats. Charity Howard explores the project that is the country's first city-based multi-service goat program with animal-assisted therapy, wellness events, and even environmental and educational experiences on this latest Shara in the City. Is that a goat? What's the goat doing in the city? And then I say, come join us. And they do. Yeah, these goats walk every morning and every evening with different people in the neighborhood. I'm Karen Crivet. I'm the director of the Philly Goat Project. I'm also known as the Goat Mom. All right, Goat Mom, tell me what it exactly is the Philly Goat Project. The Philly Goat Project is a nonprofit based in Germantown with the mission of providing education, community wellness, animal assisted therapy, and teen job training with the help of our amazingly trained goats. It's lovely here in the neighborhood being part of the community and lovely having a herd of goats that's cared for and loved by thousands of people. You can't do that with another animal. I love it. And no, I didn't have goats before I had these guys. <laughs> Everybody asks me that. 
And so, nobody did in the city. <laughs> Who has goats in the city in America? It really works. We bring communities together. We bring students out for hands-on learning um, who might not otherwise want to get outside, but when they see these beautiful, beautiful creatures who are lovely, they are like, oh, okay, I want to try that. I want to check that out. So who are these goats? Who do you have here? This is Ivy. Beautiful we, white and brown. And yes. So smart. I've noticed that already. So they many personalities. A lot of personalities. <laughs> this guy, oh my goodness, this is Kyoshi. Kyoshi's named after Kyoshi Kiramaya, who was an incredible person in Philadelphia. He did tons of work for social justice. He was a gay man who grew up in a Japanese internment camp. What's that? <laughs> and so we talk about that with school children. And he wrote the the protocol for ACT UP. What's ACT UP? So we talk about that. And um, Kiyoshi Kurumaya was a big anti-war activist too. And um, he's a very cool person. Lived in Philly, died in Philly. There we go. He pulls a wagon for kids who don't walk. He's also really, really good at undoing the Velcro. <laughs> so let's talk about your community effort. I mean, there's so much that you couple yeah, with do. the community. And you really make it kind of one of those things where someone can come and have a full experience. Yeah, I think that there's a lot of windows for um, connection here at the farm at Aubrey in Germantown. And even when we're on the road at a park in a neighborhood in the city. There are so many ways for people to relate to the goat, wonder about the goats, touch them, even non-verbally, just to be like petting them and going, oh, they're so warm, they're so soft, and they're so gentle. And touching people is something that very few people have a chance to do. It's not really okay to go touch people, right? right? But so touching goats offers that really wonderful medium that is so special, like I'm doing right now with you, Ivy. I love that. And you have so many other programs. Yeah. Let's talk about some of those programs. I think my favorite program that we have is our teen job training program, especially focused on under-resourced, marginalized teens who live around here who historically there hasn't really been a place for those kids to come hang out feel important feel praised and proud of having jobs and being part of something that they feel ownership toward every goat here really gets relationships with everybody they get to know so to be at a 12 year old kid who's usually not allowed out of the house unless they're going to the goat project or school to be like hey i'm gonna walk this goat this is my goat and this goat knows me just it makes me so proud and i know everybody's family who lives here who's teen is part of our program and we actually this year we're so lucky we just got a garden um project so we're going to be able to have free gardening for anybody in the community that the teen interns families are going to be the ambassadors for oh that's amazing that's a whole family effort and this comes at a really important time when kids are being inundated with violence whether it be gun violence and or just interpersonal violence there's a lot of trauma but this place they can release it they can lay it down yeah you can have a calm place you can have a place to meet other people Having something to do and having something to help is so therapeutic. And ownership, like you said. Yeah. Somewhere to belong. Agency. Some- Ooh. 
I love when kids have agency for the hard work that they do. And they make a difference. When you're in school and you're doing assignments, it doesn't feel like there's a purpose for it sometimes. But here, taking care of the goats or helping to grow a garden, you can really see that you do make a difference. This is Kelly. She's our social worker who leads our grieving program. And Kelly, you're making a difference in such an important way. Let's talk about what you're doing. Sure. Hi, my name is Kelly Corgan and I'm the therapy and wellness director here at Philly Go Project. So along with all of the farm tasks that are required for taking care of the goats, I help run the various therapeutic programming here. You got your hands full, I can tell. (laughs) (laughs) Well, we're all a team and we all work together and make sure that we cover each other. I love that it's a community within a community. Absolutely. I think the biggest thing that we see people embrace is the permission to also express themselves, the permission to learn different skills and building confidence in socializing with one another, the permission when talking about our bereavement programming to come to a space and feel whatever you need to feel and come as you are and knowing that there are people here that will accept you as you are. Uh, There's no substitute for actually having that type of connection. Yeah. Your own experience when you saw a kid really have a transitional moment. Yeah, I think something that we saw a lot of change in youth kind of coming out of their showers in our violence intervention programming. People see the outdoors as something freeing, but it's not a safe place for everyone. And we want to name that. And we wanted to be able to go at people's paces and go at their comfortability while also challenging them to come back into their body. So when we do that, we've seen a huge shift in the youth we're working with to come into their body and then that's when they're able to make the connections. We have 13 goats and each of them is differently sized for different sizes of people and that's really thought of everything. Yeah well (laughs) that was very purposeful. It was purposeful that all the goats were different colors, they were different sizes, they are a few different breeds and also they came in clusters to us so they are family just like our community we are family we are friends and so there's in the therapy work that we do or even the work that we do with school groups is talk about relationships and talk about taking care of the earth even in the city you know (laughs) we count too (laughs) the city counts too let's talk about what's coming up so you guys have this wonderful program where anyone and everyone can feed a goat. Bring your Christmas tree. Everyone loves to feed the animals. And so everyone can participate in watching the goats eat Christmas trees and, you know, grabbing a branch and holding it for them while they nibble. So anyway, when so can people come for the Christmas trees? Give our, us some dates. Our Christmas tree cycling is the first, second, and third weekends in January. And it's a festival of sustainability. It's free to come and enjoy. We have a fire pit and s'mores and hot chocolate and lots of goats all over the place eating Christmas trees with wonderfully smelling breath and we have we have a really silly thing that I love is our farm Olympics where else can you do an egg and spoon race and a log hop and get a lollipop Uh, it's really great way for us to get kids outside off their electronics into nature without too much effort and we have storybooks also so something for everyone something for everyone for all generations to be together out enjoying nature thank you for joining us for bridging philly brought to you by gift of life donor program 
organ donors save lives. Also, we're looking for the 2024 class of Game Changers. Nominations are being accepted right now. If you know a person or an organization doing positive work to uplift communities of color, go to kywnewsradio.com slash Game Changers and nominate them today. Winners will be featured on KYW and will be awarded at a special ceremony during Black History Month. For Shara Day Howard and our producer, Patty McMahon, I'm Raquel Williams. Be well.